Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, and I'm standing in for Pam Vardy, who's having a well-deserved birthday weekend off. So happy birthday to you, Pam. Now, sharing the studio with me this morning are two blokes who know a thing or two about a thing or two. So (laughs) I'd like to firstly uh, say good morning and welcome to James Beatty and also to landscape designer Evan Gorky from Okra Designs. Good morning, guys. Okra, it's not Okra, it's Okra. Do you know what? Whenever you're coming on, I Google it and I'm like... I know I'm going to get caught up in pronouncing this name. You know, you know where the name originated was because um, uh, many years ago uh, I decided that it was not a good idea to use my own name, which is what I started out with. I right. thought it would be better to have a generic name. And we were in Spain, uh, northern Spain in Galicia, and uh, there was a, a garden I knew of called Oca, O-C-A, with an emphasis on the on the on the A. Would they have pronounced it Oka? As I well? have no idea right. how they pronounce it, but um, we we found it, uh, my wife and I, and uh, had this big door, big wooden door, um, and we essentially just hung around the door, and then a, a gardener came, walked through with his hedge clippers, and we sort of said, you know, we sort of motioned to him, you know, could we go in and have a look, and uh, he just let us in. And so we're wandering around this huge old garden with a huge old stone boat in the middle of a lake. I don't know if you know it. And it's sort of got hydrangeas growing Mm. over it with a stone man fishing. Uh, It's got a river running through it, you know, that was diverted (laughs) and so on. So that was where the name originated from. But then, of course, I got back and I thought, oh, people will think it's Ocker Landscape. (laughs) I was going to say, if that's (laughs) not taken, I might have that. Can I bring your roses for you? Yeah. Yeah, couldn't you, you called it like brownie orange landscape? Yeah, that's right. Muddy, yeah. yeah. So how, how fantastic is this weird temperature today? I know, oh. I'm in shorts and a short sleeve shirt. Yeah. I, know, I think it's the first time I've had that ensemble for, you know, six months or something. A long mm. time, yeah. yeah we, we've had a definitely had a late spring, late introduction to warmer weather mm. in spring. Mm. And it sort of feels like it's really, really warm when it probably... Isn't really, it's just comparatively, it, compared think, to the rest of spring. I think it was really warm when I, when I walked out the yeah, door well, this morning. Actually, it was 22 when I left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. I just think it got very cool overnight. I went to do the market shop yesterday at Preston Market, and um, it, was, it was a little bit cool, but I knew it was going to warm up during the day, so I had shorts and a, and a short sleeve shirt on down there, and my regular market stall that I go to to get all my groceries from, they were going, oh, it's a bit early to be kind of getting around in that kit, isn't it? still a little bit cold. And I was going, no, 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 the warm weather's just around Holding the corner. It in. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So Preston <laughs> Is that on every weekend? Uh, yeah, every every Saturday. It's shut mm-hmm. on a Sunday. Um, I think it's shut Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, and yeah, but it's a good good little place to you know go and get all your bits for yeah. the week. So mm. Organic veggies. There's one organic stall, mm-hmm. um, uh, but uh, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if they've any plans for any more. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But, is yeah. it mostly produce? 
It is mostly produce, um, but there's a little deli section and a little meat and fish section oh, as well. So some so. fancy pants things. Yeah, yeah. 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 So nice. it's kind of a it's a kind of a one stop shop. But one of the things that always surprises me is that you go in there to do your market shop on the weekend and. You know, it's it's busy if you get there any time after 10 o'clock. But then you nip over to Woolies to get your other bits and yeah, pieces. Um, and, and there are people in there doing their vegetable shopping. And I just think... This, get this, over there. A, get, you should hand out flyers. There's a bloody market you across the street. You should get commission. You should get your veggies for free. And go into Woolies and hand out your flyers. <laughs> <laughs> I think that could work really uh, well. Look, I'd like to get kicked out of Woolies. Who wouldn't, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we've just been over to uh, Vietnam, northern Vietnam and <laughs> Cambodia. And, of course, the markets there are unbelievable. Um, Bakar Market, and even where we were staying in Hanoi, we stayed quite a while in Hanoi, just sussing it out. And and the, our hotel uh, looked over a little alleyway, which was a, a food, you know, a place where locals bought their food. So mm. we had the local butcher just down below our window. So at selling um, goats about, underneath you? Uh, no, they they were selling pork and beef. Um, and at about sort of six a.m., she'd push a steel bench out out of her door. Right. Um, chuck all the meat on it, yep. you know, and then people would wander past and they'd pick it up and check it out and uh, wipe their hand on the rag that she supplies on the side <laughs> of the door and, and then she'd weigh it up with these lovely old scales and she was always done by one o'clock. Yeah. And if she wasn't, apparently you could buy it the next day a little bit cheaper Ooh, yeah, right. if she still had it. So yep. it's, you know, 34 degrees, mm. um, the meat just sits out on the, on the bench. We, it's so different, isn't it? But it, is, it yeah. clearly works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, you're going to you cook know. it up anyway, aren't you? Yeah, kill, that's kill right. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. You're not going to have it raw. Yeah, it was amazing. And, and uh, you know, they had the um, little live crabs, tiny little <clears> crabs, <throat> about four centimetres across. They're just in huge buckets and they just had a massive mortar and pestle and so they just put them into that and just munch them up. Oh. Just to make a paste. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, live. Live? Yeah, live, yeah. And no one was running away and Straight taking in. them down to the beach and... <laughs> no, no. No, no. Three little crabs. It has to be fresh. It has to be fresh because there's, um, you know, a lot of people don't have refrigeration, obviously. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so it's all, all just fresh. But it was an interesting little alleyway to be in. You know, because you could walk up and down it each day and they had the few f- you know, fruit people, they had fish, they had turtles. Um, all, all sorts of things. And but, what veggies sort of caught your eye or fruit? Um, Anything that you haven't had before? With dragon fruit, there's oh. lots of, mm. which we love. It must be good quality over there too. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's beautiful. And, of course, the lovely little bananas because they're picked, obviously, pretty pretty ripe already, so yeah. they're sweet as sweet. Yeah. You just can't buy them like that here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we gorged ourselves on, on those sorts of Great. fruits. And, and mangoes. And so mangoes quite different too. The, the varieties that they grow there are quite different. Um, have quite a different flavour and lychees. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some other fruits that we didn't know what they were, but they were delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you just point and then have a go at them. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the weirdest thing I ate was we went on a cooking tour. Yep. Just our family um, with this young chef and, and his offsider. And we stopped to eat some street food. And uh, the lady, a lot of people actually have little shop fronts. So if, so if you've been to Hanoi, the, the weird thing about Hanoi is all the buildings are only about two and a half metres wide because there was a tax at some point in history for the width of buildings. So if your building was, if, if your facade was, you know, X wide, you had to pay so much tax. So all the buildings are incredibly skinny. Yeah. So a lot of people actually uh, have or live in the country, essentially, or they might have a farm in the country. These are people who are selling food. Mm. And then they bring it in, they just have the little shop front, and they live in the shop front during the week. So this lady grew duck eggs. 
she grew duck eggs so that um, to a point where so they were fertilized eggs. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. The point where there's a small duck inside. Yep. So we didn't actually know this, but we're getting oh. so we were served up these boiled eggs. Yes. Um, and you crack into it, and there's a there's oh, no. a f- essentially fully grown duck inside. It's like something from a Wes Craven movie. Oh, really. yeah. <laughs> it was pretty creepy, I got to say, but I, I ate it because they said it was good for me. <laughs> and, but what did it taste like? Was it? Um, <clears throat> look, tasted fine. Yeah. I mean, it didn't have a heck of a lot of flavour, really. I mean, it, it did it just... taste like an egg, or did it taste like a? Uh, no, it didn't really taste like an egg. Well, the outside did, but of course, when you're eating into the little duck, it was sort of. A fleshy. How'd the kids go with it? Ah, no, they shirked it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Funny that. And I had roasted sparrows as well. They were interesting. Roasted sparrows. Roasted sparrows, yeah. So you just get served up little whole sparrows. Um, yeah, that was a bit bit weird. Well, on a stick or no, no, just it? on a plate, just yeah, okay. four for right. little sparrows, fully you know, fully formed little sparrows, feet and everything. Just I suppose up. you know, Western foods is this things called buffalo wings, but they're actually chicken. But you know, <laughs> yeah, you know sparrows wings, it's actually sparrow wings. It's actually sparrows. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm not yeah. sure if either of you've seen that uh, show, Todd Sampson, the Body Hack. Not yet. Well, he he's goes off and, um, you know, lives with tribes and, and various people and, and does everything that they do. Right. And he was with one particular tribe and um, in Africa and they were out hunting baboons and whatnot and mm. um, they used bow and arrows and shot this tiny, tiny little bird, like it must have been the size of a wren. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, you know, that'll just get left by the wayside. But no, nah, they stopped, they made a fire, they cooked up this wren and they mm. shared it between them. It was a tiny <laughs> little thing. It wasn't a wren, but it was, but that, it was that small. small. And yes. yet it was like nothing is going to waste. We, are, no. we use everything. It's the way they operate, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the purpose of the trip? Looking oh, just, at, just, at just, a holiday, just a holiday. Just a holiday. We wanted to... Um, to just experience Southeast Asia, which we hadn't, and yep. so the kids hadn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so we spent a fair bit of time in the countryside in the northern part. Mm-hmm. So it was fantastic walking through um, bamboo forests, mm. which was great. Walking through this sort of more jungly area, there was pyrus growing wild, hedicium. Um, it's nothing like seeing these plants that you usually see in nurseries and pots or yeah. something in their home environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that that was really interesting, sort of wandering through these areas, seeing bamboo flowering. I'd never right. seen bamboo flower before. Mm. Um, Where does it flower? <clears throat> it flowers along the the whole stems. Yep. Uh, and then the plant, um, well, the plant doesn't die, which is what I thought, but it doesn't die. the The top dies, so the top dies, so it becomes leafless. So all the flowers are just sitting there without the uh, any leaves. Yep. Um, they're on probably 30 centimetre stems, I yep, suppose, all yep. the flowers. And they're tiny little, you know, they're not showy at all, tiny little flowers. And so the whole the whole top dies off. And then so we saw one a little bit later that it reshot. And so it was, you know, all fresh and new. So so they don't, yeah, they don't die off. And, and it was very sporadic. There was, mm. you know, one here, one over there, one over there. So it's not like the whole area went as well, which yeah, is something yeah. maybe does happen in some species in some areas, yeah. that the whole areas all flower at once. Um, but certainly in this, this species, um, it was just sporadic where they, so they get to a certain age. I think he thought about 20 years mm. and then they, they flower. <laughs> And right. reproduce. And is it a grass-like flower? I mean, because they are a grass, aren't they? No, it was a very um, yeah. Well, I suppose it was because it wasn't yeah. showy at all. Yeah, it was yeah. very hard to tell, really. I mean, what the flower was. It was just on. You know how on bamboo you get those very short little stems with with mm. leaves on them, particularly mm. if you prune them. 
that's what they looked like right. okay. with little just little nodules all, all over them. Um, and uh, they obviously sit there for quite a long time before they reshoot. But yeah. then when they reshoot, of course, they go up at a million miles an hour, which uh, which is just fantastic to and see. Any inspirations <clears throat> to do a crouching tiger hidden dragon and throw yourself <laughs> through the tops of the bamboo? <laughs> Uh, no. You weren't inspired? <laughs> Where's your adventurous spirit, Evan? Hey, Evan, jump backwards into the tree. Come on. <laughs> that, that was really giant bamboo. That was about 100 millimetres in diameter, I suppose, that yeah. stuff. Mm. Then we went through another forest area that was completely a monoculture of much smaller bamboos, right. maybe six metres high, a bit, um, and, and sort of uh, maybe 30, 30 mil mm-hmm. in diameter. And that was fantastic. There was just nothing else. Mm. It was just really the bamboo and a few things struggling on underneath. Yeah. Um, but they do get fires through these areas, so I guess that would that would clear them out. That wouldn't that be a firecracker night? That would be night? interesting. That would be very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's nothing better than throwing bits of bamboo on a campfire Snap, when nobody understands yes. what you're doing. <laughs> 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 Boom! Boom! It does sound like a shotgun. And is there an understory in bamboo or not? Well, there wasn't in that yeah. um, because it was just so dense. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. that there was there was essentially nothing. So you wonder what the um, point of the Fire regenerating from fires. Oh no, I don't know. These are wildfires we're talking oh, about. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah okay. Not, not, so it's not, not a deliberately natural part lit. of the ecology, no, really. No, yeah. no, I don't think so. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but uh, but the, the markets there, of course, are amazing. You know, Bakar Market and, mm, and some heard, of the yeah. regional markets are quite phenomenal. The the types of food that you can you can buy and all the different rices. That you can buy. They were harvesting rice when we were up in there, oh, which was fabulous to see. Yeah, great. You know, people actually harvest their own rice by hand. Yeah, it's still by hand, isn't it? Still yeah. by hand. It's with all the yeah. infrastructure that's been there for centuries, you can't really bring in a machine yeah. around. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the human defence against the onset of Monsanto, but, you know, we started defending ourselves against it long before, you know. You build this infrastructure where there's no chance of getting a tractor in. Yeah, yeah. well, that's yeah. true, but I think it's also just the way they uh, have to live. Mm. Um, because they don't own their land, um, the government owns all the land, mm. um, so they just sort of get little allotments, and a certain amount of their their um, produce has to go to the government, and and so on. So it's very very restricted, I think, what they can do. There were some little thrashing machines, tiny ones that were they were sort of dragging from one spot to another, or mm. you know, community sort of areas. But there was other areas in the back blocks where people were just, um, you know, like twelve year old kids were carting it on their backs, the rice up to, like, the little village, and they were just thrashing it out by hand, mm. which is amazing how much rice comes out of one bushel of of rice plants. Yeah. It's, it's just like a snowstorm. Yeah, okay. So when they, they just whack it down on some timber, some timber slats, <coughs> and it just sprays up into the air, it's mm. quite dense. It's an incredibly productive mm. uh, rice, yeah, so, a, a plant. You were saying different kinds of rice. How mm. many different kinds did you see while you were there? Uh, we saw two or three. Yeah. Um, and the really valued ones are the ones that grow very tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, was it called green rice, I think? Uh, because it's very hard to grow because it's so tall. If you get heavy rains, it gets flattened. Yeah, okay. Um, so that, that was highly valued. And mm. you saw that in the markets. And mm-hmm. people, um, there was one lady in the Bakar market, so we were there very early, and she had had this special rice, and she just had a crowd around her, mm. and she sold out within a couple of hours. Mm. Yeah, right. It was just all gone. Did you try black rice? 
Uh, yeah, we had black rice. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, and it looks yeah. awesome. A friend gave it to <clears> me <throat> for my birthday, and it just looks incredible. If you've got, you know, I've had it with uh, broad beans and tomatoes, mm. and just oh, wow. that real <clears throat> popping on mm. the black was yeah, yes. wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that was quite common in restaurants. Yep. To uh, have that, didn't see that growing growing in the fields. Yeah. So, is the rice when it's harvested? Is the whole plant taken out, or is it just chopped down? They they chop it off um, and leave stubble in the. In the field, so yep, they so. they chop. So it's about um, maybe eight hundred mil high, yep. I suppose. What they cart, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and the, the stubble stays in the in the paddy, yeah, um, and yeah, and they just pick it up and and whack it out onto plastic sheets, and then people will have it in their front. So we did a lot of wandering around just little townships, just. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess just everyday townships. Mm. So people in their on their front porch or whatever would have their plastic out, and they might have their corn all out there, uh, corn ears, just the ears, yep. um, drying it. Yep. And they'd be out there with their little wooden brooms, just pushing it around mm-hmm. um, to make sure it would dry, or they'd be looking out to see if it's going to rain. Yep. You know, and yep. quickly pack it up and put it back in their little little front. And how did they dehusk <clears throat> the rice? <clears throat> Or does it need I, de-husking? I, they I really don't know. Smash it around don't know. They sure. uh, all we saw them was them thrashing <coughs> it out. Yeah. So I'm not too sure how it's dehusked. Yeah. Oh. I, it, I guess it would go through a process somewhere or another to do that. Yeah. Or maybe it doesn't. Uh, yeah. Very I don't interesting. Know. It does come off seemingly very very clean. The grain. Does mm. it taste different because it's super fresh? Uh yeah. I suppose it does. I, uh, or I maybe don't just because of not, where you're eating it's it. Probably had it's yeah. cooked and so yeah. on as well. You know, you know, I'm not the best cook in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and have you tried to recreate any of the dishes that you made on your cooking? Um, <clears throat> yes, yes. Um, Sonia's been she she loves that kind of thing. So um, yeah, she's been busily uh, reproducing some of the curries and so on that we mm. that we learnt and that we we um, made. Uh, so that was really good. The cooking, doing cooking there was really, really fantastic because, of course, you get a whole day essentially one-on-one yep. with mm. somebody who can speak re- relatively good English. Mm. So you don't just talk about what you're cooking. You mm. talk about politics and yep. all sorts of things. So it was uh, it was really, really interesting. So I highly recommend that kind of thing mm. to do that. Yeah, um, And just having a, a, a guided tour fellow as well up in the country, we didn't really have a set plan. We just said we wanted to do a lot of walking, you know, what they call trekking. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did lots and lots of walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he just, you know, and again, we just had a lot of time just trundling along, being able to chat and learn about, you know, a lot of people live miles from where they work. So he lived... Um, uh, 400 kilometres, his house is 400 kilometres away. Arranged marriage, he had two children. One child was, uh, his second child was two months old. You mean, you mean he, he goes home? 400 k's from where he works. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so he went home twice a year. Right. And that, that, that was common. Yeah. That was common in Cambodia as well. That was really common that people, you know, in 400 kilometres you think, well, it's not that far, but 400 kilometres there yeah. is like a 12-hour trip. Yeah, kind yeah. Of or, to Sydney, or longer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's, it's a, you know, because there's no, <coughs> the, the infrastructure is obviously quite poor. Mm. So getting around is really, really slow. Yeah. Uh, but that, that was really common that people lived a hell of a long way away from where they actually worked. And so his wife 
lived on their farm with his parents. Farming. Yeah. And then he'd go back and get the produce and... Uh, well, oh. well, no, he was a tour guide. Oh, he was, so that was yeah, how okay, he was getting yeah, his sure. income yep, yep. and he was trying to build up his business. And he was a very clever fellow and I reckon, you know, over time he will build up a really successful business. Yep. Um, but for now, he, he, has to, he's, he has to still support his parents. Mm. His dad looks after their children while his wife works in their fields. So that, that's yep. sort of how it operates. Yep. I said, why don't you do tour guides around your place? He said, oh, it's just boring. <laughs> boring to them. <laughs> there's, not there's nothing yeah. there, but, you know, it probably would have been quite good. Yep. Oh, it's yeah. just full of dragon fruits and fruits you've yeah, never heard yeah, of. Yeah, probably wouldn't boring. like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly. are you, like, completely intrigued by all the plants and whatnot as you're wandering around, just um, seeing stuff you haven't seen before? Or? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. I did work in the tropics years ago um, on Hayman Island, and up, so I spent a fair bit of time in North Queensland. Um, so I guess some things were familiar to me, yeah. but um, absolutely, it's it's incredibly interesting. Um, just what you see on the sides of the road, to you know, just the sugar cane that's growing here mm. and there, and um, you know, the bananas and uh, fabulous palm trees. There was one palm tree looked like what I would have called a foxtail palm, but it it was about the size of a um, Canary Island palm. Right. And had these massive sort of three D fronds. Mm. I have no idea what it was, but it was the most extraordinary thing. You only saw it here and there. Um but the gardens are, are the solitude for places like Hanoi because Hanoi is just you need earmuffs. Yeah. It's yeah, right. just so loud and so busy. Uh, in fact if if they had traffic lights that people obeyed, the <laughs> the, 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 the place would be gridlocked within about three minutes. Yeah. Right. Because people just keep moving, they keep moving, they go slowly, but they keep moving. So if if you want to get into the traffic on your little motorbike, mm. you just start off. Just mm. yep. You might even be going in the wrong direction. Yep. But people just avoid you. Everyone's looking out for everybody. It's quite phenomenal the way it works. Mm. Um, it is. It's kind of chaotic, but it's also the you know the the best of human inclination as well because yeah. everyone is kind of looking out for they each other. Are. I remember when yeah. when Luke Nguyen did that series on SBS just recently. He did a piece to camera where he basically walked out into the traffic and crossed the road and was mm. talking to the camera the whole time and mm. wasn't watching where he was going, but he was doing that to illustrate that well everyone looks out for each yes. other on in this situation. It's quite different. You yeah, know, Can you elsewhere doing in that the in world. Australia? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably three God. steps and you'd be smashed. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> if you didn't get hit by a car, someone would get out of their yeah. car and clobber you. Yeah. <laughs> no, the key there is not to hesitate. Yeah. Because right. if you hesitate, that's unpredictable. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So then yeah. you're in strife. But we went to the, um, uh, the Temple of Literature uh, in Hanoi, and that was just a wonderful respite from the noise, although it was still surrounded by busy roads. Mm. Um, it was an ancient uh, temple uh, where... Uh, Confucius taught and this and that. So they had old tablets there from, um, you know, a thousand years ago and so on. But just the to be in green grass mm. and lovely trees, you know, it mm. was just so relaxing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a huge space, maybe half a hectare, um, but it was just lovely to be in there. We just sat <laughs> for mm. quite a while uh, in there. But, you know, they cut all their lawns with brush cutters. So, yeah, okay. yeah, no, no mowers. Right. So they're just out there with brush cutters. It's very labour intensive way um, to do yeah. it, really, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but the place was immaculate mm. and uh, and just beautifully set out. The trees in there weren't particularly old, maybe a hundred years or so. I, I did find a lady who had some, inf- you know, that could give me some information. So, would a lot uh, of those gardens have been laid out by the French, or yeah, 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 or relayed out, right? 
Yeah, yeah. But that was certainly a very ancient place. But yes, absolutely, the Citadel and those sorts of things. Mm. There's yeah, strong influence in there in, in the French gardens. But mm-hmm. they're obviously overlaid with lots and lots of huge bonsais and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The bonsais are interesting in that they have them in stone dishes. Mm-hmm. So they're built up on rocks, as you would sort of imagine on, on, uh, on paintings and so on. You know, the plants are up on rocks. Yep. But their roots actually sit down in a dish of water. Oh, right. Okay. So, and... Uh, and there, there'll be water plants in there as well. And they're only about 150 mil deep, if that. Um, but that's obviously how they keep the moisture up to them. Mm. Most of them were ficus, most, yeah. of, the, um, most of the toperies. Mm-hmm. But they were everywhere and, and, you know, all wired down and, Beautiful. you know, to get all their shapes. Yep. Um, yeah, really good. But very humid. So, of course, that's the sorts of plants they, yeah. they have to use. Yeah. You know, they yeah. wouldn't be able to use pines like they can mm. in Japan yeah. and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, oh, wonderful. Well, we hmm. should probably get to some community announcements because we've got a squillion to get through. Yes. So um, let's say get pens to the ready. Um, all right, so I'm going to start off. We've got uh, the Art of Botanical <coughs> Illustration, A New Direction. It's Australia's foremost exhibition of selected botanical works, and that's been running since the 15th of October, uh, and it uh, finishes today, uh, or tomorrow, sorry finishes on October 30, and that is at Domain House, Dallas Brooks Drive in Melbourne, uh, just near the Shrine of Remembrance, and uh, that's open from 10 till 4 o'clock, and entry by gold donation, and all the works are for sale there. Uh, We've got the uh, Australian Plant Society Keelor Plains Group, the next meeting on November the 4th at 8pm. Dean Nicholl, Director and Head of Research at Currency Creek Arboretum in South Australia, will speak on eucalypts. Uh, Dean is a foremost authority on eucalypts worldwide and was the keynote speaker at the Eucalypts One Day Workshop held by the Royal Botanic Gardens Cranbourne in April. Um, so the venue is 54 Rally Street in Maribyrnong. It's a new venue, so 54 Rally, Rally Road in Maribyrnong. Uh, public transport routes 82 and 57, uh, tram stop 43, <coughs> and car parking is available at the venue and in Hortense Street. If you want more information on that, you can call Anne on 9336-3228. The Royal Hort Society, we've got a few things going on. The Victorian Iris Society main show is on at the Mount Waverley Community Centre. Uh, October 30, that's at 47 Miller Crescent, Mount Waverley, from 11am to 4pm, and it's $6 to get in. Uh, Iris Iris Rhizomes, afternoon tea, literature and catalogues, all for sale at the show. An hourly auction of an iris plant or an unusual plant. Uh, For more information, contact Shirley on 0412 457 725. Uh, Next weekend, we've got the Australian Pelagonium and Geranium Society Annual Spring Show. That's at the Belfield Community Centre, corner Oriel Road and Banksia Street, Ivanhoe. On Saturday, it's from 12 to 4, and on Sunday, it's from 9.30 to 4. It's $5, including morning and afternoon tea, and plants and cuttings are for sale. For more information on that, contact Lorna on 94384080. And also that weekend, the Kreswick Garden Club Flower Show, um, Kreswick Town Hall, 
from Saturday from 2 till 5 and Sunday from 10 till 4, $2 entry, flowers, preserves, floral arrangements, fruit and vegetables, craft, plant sales, um, and it's held in conjunction with the Creswick Garden Lovers Weekend with a number of open local gardens. Uh, there's free parking and you can contact Susan. It's an email address, S-U-E-C-R-A-V-E-N at hotmail.com. Um, also, the uh, Kangaroo Paw Festival, um, which is um, the Royal Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne, are running for the month of November, so that's about to ramp up. Um, strangely enough, just in time for all the kangaroo paws looking amazing. How coincidental. How they must coincidental. be thrilled. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so as well as the whole festival where you can um, go on self-guided walks at Cranbourne, they've got a three-day symposium um, and there's a range of incredible speakers. Um, each of the days is dedicated to a specific theme. So on day one, which is Thursday, the 24th of November, it's an entire science day, which covers the botanical, horticultural and zoological aspects of um, basically the whole family, Hemodoraceae. Um, so kangaroo paws, blood roots, cotton heads and more. So that's the Science Day on the 24th, which is at Dallas Brooks Drive in South Yarra at 8.30 for a 9am start. And then on day two, which is held at the Cranburn Gardens, it's the professional day. So, and that includes breeding, marketing, design, cultivation and diseases. Again, a range of um, really well-known speakers. And on day three, which is on the Saturday the 26th, it's the Home Gardeners Day uh, for home gardeners and enthusiasts. Um, so there's um, Professor Stephen Hopper is speaking, Angus Stewart, um, renowned kangaroo paw breeder, um, Professor Kingsley Dixon, one of Australia's foremost plant scientists, renowned for his work with smoke and germination, uh, Digby Grounds, who's the senior plant breeder at Kings Park and Botanic Garden, um, there's Keith Oliver, who was one of Australia's first kangaroo paw breeders, Jim Fogarty, Brett Summerall, John Arnott, Neil Marriott, Loretta Childs, John Thompson, and of course Roger Elliott are all, um, they've all got something to say about kangaroo paws. Now, um, what is exciting is that they're trying to make this accessible to more people, so prices have been reduced, which is fantastic news for those who thought they might not have been able to attend. Uh, so we're looking at you can buy, you can just go to one day or there's special rates for um, a three-day discount. So um, on the Science Thursday, if you're a non-member, you pay 130 um, Industry Friday, you pay 130 And the Gardener Saturday, it's 100 Or for um, a three-day discount, it's $300. And uh, for three days for the friends, people who are friends, you're paying 250 um, or 100, 180 for those particular days, and um, the student rates are 75 for one day, 75 or oh, 75 for individual days, or 200 dollars. So that is going to give, I think, a lot more people um, access, and it certainly would be worthwhile because um, there's a lot of people there with incredible information, and it's going to be very exciting, I think. So over to you, Evan. Yeah, I think you've right, hey, we've got a bonsai exhibition and a sale. Um, in the Footscray Community Arts Centre on November 5 and 6. It's that next weekend. 
Uh, it's from 10 a.m. till 4 p.m. Adults are $5 and children under 15 are free. Um, there's daily door prizes and uh, bonsai demonstrations on both days, which I'm sure will be quite interesting to everybody. So that's at the Footscray Community Arts Centre, 45 Moreland Street in Footscray. Um, if you want more information, there is a website, uh, bonsainorthwest.com.au. We'll get you some information there. Um, in Open Gardens, Victoria, Halcyon is open, 466 Maroondah Highway in Healesville. Um, there is, uh, so you can look on the Open Gardens Victoria website. So if you just Google that, you'll, you'll locate that. Uh, this also is Saturday and Sunday, the 5th and the 6th, 10 till 4.30. Entry is $10. Um, this is a sounds like quite a large garden with uh, mature conifers and deciduous trees and eucalypts underplanted with cool climate shrubs. So that might be really interesting to people who are struggling with uh, planting under large trees. Might be a, a good, a good uh, education there to have a look and see what they're doing. Uh, dry stone walls, perennials, roses, um, manicured lawns, uh, lovely uh, pathway flanked by Chinese elms and uh, angophoras, the smooth barked apples. That they are just such a great tree, mm. aren't they? Angophoras. Mm. Uh, we planted one in our place about four years ago, I suppose. And just yesterday, I noticed that it's really now. It was planted quite big. It's really starting to get a bit of colour right. in its trunk. It's like, oh, you know, what it's going to be like in twenty years' time. But It'd still, nothing compares to seeing them in New South Wales. <laughs> oh, that's aren't right. They yeah, just yeah. Insane? they are insane. Yeah. They're often quite gnarly, too, yeah. aren't they? They might yeah. be bending over rocks and yeah. and so on. Yeah, in the national parks, right in Sydney, aren't they? Yeah, mm. absolutely. A lot yeah. of the yeah. reserves on the northern beaches as well are just yeah. thick with them. They're yeah. gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. things. Stunning mm. trees. There's some rippers in Berwick, um, right near the train station. Some of the biggest you'll see. Yep. Um, really fantastic. And, and branches, you know, right down low mm. to the ground. Yeah, they yeah. have a bit of a river red gum feel to them, I reckon. They're yeah. They're so big and... They know, are. Like... Yeah, that's right. They're very um, sturdy looking, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. Uh, unlike, say, a lemon-scented that can be a bit wispy. They're, yeah. They're far more sort of sturdy and yeah. solid. They have that real solidity about them, yeah. which makes them a wonderful tree. Um, I like using them in school plantings, you know, oh, yeah. new, new schools, yep. uh, avenues of them. I just did an avenue of one of them about 30 of them, like, drew it. <laughs> That's a good start. It's a good start. For a school in Taylor's Hill. Now go and dig nice. the hole, Seven. Yeah, that's right. So it's going to be... Um, uh, this is only stage one, but the idea is it'll continue through the whole school. So they'll have this whole artery, you know, through the whole school. That's a great idea. Um, long term. And you're not worried about... Uh, dropping branches? No, not with Angophoras. Okay. No, they're, they're really good. Okay. Um, uh, thing, things you can't plant really. Uh, uh, Botryoid is is the classic. You know mm. that's that's uh, not a, not good. Uh, gum, uh, red gums is yeah. is one that's not recommended. But generally speaking, um, most of the eucalypts are not uh, frowned upon to plant into schools, um, and and the angophoras. Yeah, okay. there is a list actually for, yeah. from from the school building authority right. that that tells you what you can't plant. Oh, mm. I might have to have a look at that. Um, interesting. But mm. uh, but it's it's pretty thin on the ground. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it probably of all the of all the trees, I think the angophoras are the ones you don't really see, you know, big big things falling off. Yeah. Um, with lemon scent gums, you'll often get sort of one inch dead branches and so on falling off. Mm. But again, it's not going to give you flat feet, is it? Mm. So mm. Um, not too bad. I suppose the long term maintenance is is something that you need to sort of think about in that respect. Mm. So um, generally, I wouldn't plant such, uh, you know. 
you know, yellow box or things like that, even though they're they're okay to plant, but they are they are huge. Yeah. Mm. So the long term maintenance, I suppose, is is potentially an issue for a public school and a private school. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you know, Angophoras take a long time to do their thing as well, and they are just such a stout tree. They're not one that just races up. Yeah. Mm. Um, they they take a long time to get there, and and I think the long term benefit far outweighs the um, the potential maintenance that yeah. that they well, would need to that have. Will look fantastic in yeah, a few years. I think so. Mm. Um, so that that was uh, Halcyon. So if you look on the Open Gardens Victoria, uh, the next one is Ridgefield, which is also an Open Gardens Victoria. Uh, it's at fifty eight Boundary Road, Coldstream. Um, you can check that out on the website. It's also open on the 5th and the 6th from uh, 10 to 4.30. Entry price is $10. The garden, uh, the fees from the garden or a portion of the fees will be going to the local CFA. It's also a large country garden, 1.2 hectares, uh, bordering a vineyard and lovely views in all directions. It was originally designed by Robert Boyle in '97. Um, things have changed a little bit, but the actual bones of the garden uh, are still there and, and still create a striking effect. Um, there's a formal garden, um, generous plants, uh, uh, plantings of roses. In fact, there's 450 roses. Mm. That's generous. Um, and lots of perennials, um, drought-tolerant perennials around the house and med- Mediterranean-style uh, courtyards. Uh, and, a, and a lovely walled garden, a crabapple lawn and a croquet lawn. Uh, so it's really got everything, this garden. Uh, so that's called Ridgefield, and that's at 58 Boundary Road, Coldstream. I wonder if you can play croquet on the day. That'd oh, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. What, what's the place out in uh, up in Olinda? It's called. It's a restaurant, Pig... Pig and uh, Whistle? It, no, not the Pig and Whistle. No. <laughs> like a pub in England. Uh, it's, it's next to the old Burnham Beecham's. It, it was part, it's part of that property. They've, they've got a... Um, uh, they've got a croquet lawn there, and you can just go in and hire the the balls and so on for five bucks mm. and uh, go out. It's great fun. Nice. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a glass of wine in your hand, if you like as well. Um, then there's the Spring Rose Show uh, for 2016 by the Rose Society of Victoria. Uh, this is at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, corner of Stevenson's Road and Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley. Uh, also on, on the Saturday and the Sunday, the 5th and the 6th of November. Gee, people are going to be busy, aren't they? Um, the Saturday, it's from 1 until 5.30 and the Sunday from 10am till 4.30. Um, they'll have lots of stalls there selling um, plants and books and gifts and, and so on. There's also a speaker program. Um, on the Saturday, we've got uh, someone talking on uh, John Neal on Propagating Roses then there's a Heritage Roses talk, a Gardens in China um, talk, and uh, a Roses throughout the world. There's lunch and afternoon tea available. Adults are $5, uh, concession $4, and children under 12 are free. If you'd like more information on that, um, you can talk to Carl on 0457 one six two, or go to the website rosesocietyvic.org.au. Beautiful, James. Well, just when you thought there wasn't enough <laughs> stuff to do um, <laughs> on the fifth of the sixth, yeah. the uh, the Arthur's Creek Mechanics Institute is having their twenty eighth garden walk on Sunday, the thirteenth of November. So, in a couple of weeks, um, there are six private gardens open as part of the schedule. There will also be artworks. 
Uh, cottage plants for sale, I imagine. Lavender products, um, irises, land care will be having a display as well. Um, garden ornaments, Devonshire settees, light, light lunches. Um, that all sounds great. All proceeds are going towards the continuing renovations and the upkeep of the hall. It's going to be a great community day. Tickets are available um, from 9.30 in the morning until 3pm. That's on Sunday the 13th of November. Um, and the gardens will be open until 5.30pm uh, in the evening. Adult tickets are $20 and kids are free. Um, if anyone has any inquiries, they can call Lois on 97148270. That's 97148270. Um, the Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens, Melbourne and Cranbourne, are presenting a joint event called uh, Darwin's Unfinished Business, which is an illustrated talk by uh, Stephen D. Hopper, who AB mentioned before. It'll be on Wednesday, the 23rd of November um, at uh, 6 o'clock for a 6.30 start, p.m., that is, at the Mueller Hall at the National Herbarium, Birdwood Avenue, South Yarra. Um, Melbourne Cranbourne Friends tickets are $20, non-members are $25, and students can attend for $10. Um, There's a little biography here. It says, Stephen Hopper is the Winthrop Professor of Biodiversity at the University of Western Australia. He is a botanist specialising in plant conservation biology, particularly the conservation of endangered species and ecosystems. During his distinguished career, he has been director of Kings Park in Perth and director at the Royal Botanic Gardens Kew. Uh, He is a keynote speaker at the Kangaroo Paw Celebration Symposium that AB mentioned before, held at RBG Victoria and the Cranbourne Friends in November. The evolution of kangaroo paws and related plants form part of Darwin's unfinished business in the Southern Hemisphere. That sounds like a good one. If anyone would like to book, they can do so online at rbgfriendsmelbourne.org um, or if you if you whack uh, Botanic Garden Friends into Melbourne, I'm sure, into, into Melbourne, into Google, it'll <laughs> pop up. Um, uh, you can download a form that you complete and send in as well. Um, if you had any inquiries, you can call the Friends office on 03... Nine six five zero six three nine eight. There is also a bromeliad show coming up on Saturday the twelfth and Sunday the thirteenth of November, um, nine a.m. to five p.m. on Saturday and nine a.m. to four p.m. on Sunday. It's at the Phoenix Road Community Centre, Rob Roy Road, Chadston, Victoria. So watch out if you're English and going there. Um, colourful bromeliad display, huge range of bromeliads for sale, books and information available. I'm sure there'll be lots of experts kicking about as well. So if you have a thing for bromeliads, that would be a great one to go along to. If you need any further information, you can call Barry Robertson, Robinson sorry, um, on 98011628. Um, admission is $4 for adults and $3 for seniors for the bromeliad show. And last but not least, um, the... African Violet and Gesneriad Show, um, 2016 annual plant show and sale, is uh, the following Saturday on the 19th of November and Sunday the 20th of November. Um, Saturday is only 1pm to 5pm, but Sunday they're having a longer day, opening at 10am and going to 4pm. It's at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, 47 Miller Crescent, corner of Stevens Road, opposite the Mount Waverley Railway Station. There will be demonstrations, supplies and refreshments. 
Um, and admission will be $5 for adults and kids are free. Um, so if you're free that weekend, get along to the African Violet annual show and sale. And that's all. That's all. Well, that's disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's just not enough to do there, really. It's crazy time. Um, now, you're listening to the 3CR Garden Show. My name's A.B. Bishop, and with me in the studio are James Beattie and Evan Gorky. And if you want to ring up it with a question, a design question, or anything else at all, give us a call on 94190155. You know, I know it's um, roses are starting to ramp up now, mm. and I was chatting, um, or for people that don't know, I'm, I'm one of the researchers on Gardening Australia, and we're looking at doing a story um, at a place called Lindock Hill in the Barossa, mm. and uh, where they've got 30,000 roses of various kinds. It's a lot of pruning, isn't is it? Which is a lot of pruning, <laughs> and I was chatting with the owner, Mark Creed, um, and he said, oh, it's their best year ever so far. Okay. And now, listen to this. With the recent rains, of course, yep. they were absolutely inundated. Some right. of the roses were completely submerged, like right. from like absolutely right. completely submerged wow. because it was higher than hip height, apparently, in Jeez. some areas um, for a couple of weeks. And others just had their roots submerged for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Finally, it's drained away, and he said it's the best they've ever had the roses. So is that, isn't wow. that interesting? So they tolerate that. They've tolerated that, which is just insane. So it'll be interesting to see over the next little while, um, yeah, if, if there's any change in them whatsoever. Wow. So when did the inundation happen? When they were dormant? Uh, yes, it did, yeah. Yep, so, um, and I guess it's fairly free-draining soil, so once it was actually gone, yeah. mm, and, and it drained some, out. Quite a lot of it is on a slope, and yeah, so, but it was just amazing. How do you get your roses to grow so well? Biblical flood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, James, for a number of years you've been a uh, researcher on Gardening Australia, but yes. um, unfortunately you fled the coop. I did, Which yes. is very disappointing. Um, yes, no, nobody to annoy there anymore, which is very sad. But So what on earth have you been up to? You've been posting all these amazing photos of gardening and your front verge and all sorts of things. Yeah, well, look, I, I kind of plan just to take the rest of the year off to figure out what exactly it is I want to do next, but I've got a whole lot of garden renovations to happen Um in uh, in the in the backyard in the next couple of months and that's that started my partner and I are kind of choosing materials and finishes and things we've got thankfully a little bit of You've a little been choosing little bit them of, for a long time yeah I know guys. I know I know <laughs> but I want to get it right you know it's going to be one of those things that's going to involve a lot of concreting and welding so if I if I get it wrong I'm just going to be kicking myself for the next twenty years um, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely the hardest thing about doing garden for yourself uh, I agree it's yeah. making the plunge okay this is what I'm going to do yeah. Yep. Because there's so many choices, aren't there? That's right. So many ways that you can go. Oh, but wait, I could do that. Oh, no, I could do that. (laughs) But as you know, AB, and as everyone who listens to the gardening show um, knows, I've I've been planning it for quite a while now. So (laughs) my my other half is looking at me going, Sue, when are you going to get this done? Um, (laughs) You're kind of running out of time. Um, But... uh, but no, I'm 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 making I'm making good progress um, in in leaps and bounds with it. But um, it's just a lot of easy distractions as well around at the moment because it has been such a great spring. We've had such a a slow lead up to hot weather. We haven't mm. really had any hot mm. weather yet. Whereas mm. this time last year and the year before, we'd had a couple of hot blasts already. We so had. That's right. There are so many gardens looking good, and so many so many parts of my garden, especially the front, that are just going absolutely gangbusters. And yeah. it's hard. 
it's hard to do anything else but to crack a beer and sit in the garden and just, <laughs> and just watch it. <laughs> it's quite good. It's really you nice. You have got a beautiful native birch. Yes. And you brought in some plants. I so did. What, what I did. You brought in a, um, yes, an example a little, of your birch. A little <laughs> selection of things that are, that are looking really good um, in there at the moment. Um, I, I, planted the, I planted the nature strip out probably just over a year ago. It's probably 14 or 15 months ago now. Um, and I, I used to work in, uh, in bushland management and bushland ecology and worked in a lot of high conservation value, um, vegetation types around Melbourne, some of which were grasslands, other were kind of open grassy woodlands and, um, a lot of, uh, creekside and riparian systems as well. So it's something I know a bit about. Um, and I, I always really love my time working in the bush and looking at it and working with it quite closely. Um, so I wanted to bring a bit of that into the city. I live in the northern suburbs. There's, you know, not not a bit of bushland um, with with a high conservation value, at least within Kui of it. We've got a little bit of a creek line and things that's quite nice to walk the dog along. I saw kangaroo there the other day what? as well, actually. Yeah, we 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 were walking down down a main um, like a main suburban street, and I looked up the other end of the street and and saw this thing bounding towards me, and I thought that's it's not kangaroo surely somebody in a suit the next thing you know the, the dog is just beside herself and i was like yeah it's a kangaroo <laughs> and it looked pretty dis- distressed i called the called the local council animal rescue they sent someone down blah, blah blah it was all okay but um so i wanted to I, I basically wanted to bring um the bit of bushland into into my into my garden and to do it in a bit of a stylized way i, I tried to create a, a bit of a grassland effect and I've mainly used um, a low-growing species of. Um, they used to be known as Ostradanthonia. They've since been renamed um, Rhytidosperma, um, Rhytidosperma geniculatum. And that's disappointing. Yeah, I know. It's such a horrible <laughs> name, isn't it? This Rhytidosperma. That is a really God. disappointing bit of news. I know. It's it's. I've, what I always, was wrong with I, the old I always name? shudder when I have to tell people that because I love the old name. I think it rolled off the tongue yeah. beautifully, but it's it's. My kind of main coverage grass in my in my grassland nature strip, and at the moment, the vast majority of it has these florets in it, mm. and they've got they've got a lovely slight, bronzy color, a kind of bronzy purple tinge to mm. them, um, mm. and there's just masses and masses of them, and it's like a very compact. Uh, ryegrass head. Yes, yes, if, it you, is. if you could imagine, there's probably plenty of ryegrass flowering in people's <laughs> lawns at the yeah, moment quite, quite lot, because yeah. it's growing so quickly. <laughs> and if you imagine a ryegrass head and shrink it by half and put all of that vertical, a bit vertical elements mm. yep. into that that bottom bit, that almost what it looks has like. a bit of a tie lotus look about it in a in a way. Mm. It does actually. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah now that you say it, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and well, it mostly looks like that at the moment, but it has just started to turn and there are a few little bits and pieces and this is probably my favourite stage of its growth. But all of those, all of those little florets are going to have wow. these really beautifully fluffy seed heads. Once they actually do go on and produce seed, they turn into this, oh, the, the texture of it is, it is like a Thai lotus or something. Mm. You're absolutely right. But when you've got an area that is absolutely full of them, Mm. The 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 mass effect of it is really really beautiful. Um, so that's that's going to be that, that, that'll probably be about another two or three weeks before that really starts to pop. Yeah. Um, but it's been at that um, just starting to just starting to flower stage for the last month or so, which you know I think all all stages of its growth are really beautiful. 
Um, and there's a couple of vertical accents amongst those. I've got a species of Ostrostiper, which I'm happy to say is still called Ostrostiper and not something <laughs> stupid and that sounds horrible. Um, this is the um, sock sticking. Uh, oh, is it? Um, it doesn't look like yes, yes. sock sticking seed. Yeah. Well, there's a few of those, aren't there? There's quite yeah. a few. All the yeah. stipers. And, and this, this one is Ostrostiper rudis, subspecies rudis. Um, is local to the area, obviously. Um, it produces quite long um, sheaths of leaves that are that are they're not they don't have very high ornamental value in themselves, and they're basically covered up by the growth of the uh, of the wallaby grass, the uh, Ritidus bermaginiculatum. Um, but this time of year, they put out masses of these seed heads that catch the wind absolutely beautifully. Mm. Um, and they would they would last probably the seeds on them last for about oh, two or three weeks, but then the glooms are, are held like a lot of ornamental grasses that you would see in gardens, a lot more common grasses. So they they do persist and they do have an ornamental value that goes you know longer than their actual seeding. Um, but yeah, really really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and it's one of those things when you're using I think when you're using local plants and grasses especially there's a you know, a, lot, a lot of people will just buy one or two and put them in their garden to see how they go. Um, chances are, if they're local, I mean, even if you have pretty crappy soil, they're probably going to do pretty well. So I always think, you know, don't put one in, put 20 of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you cultivate your soil before you did your birch? No, I didn't. No, no. Just left it as it was. Um I haven't mulched either because I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, you know, discourage recruitment once the grasses do drop yeah. their own seed. Yeah. And they really only have had one year of growth and seeding, but the the amount that they have recruited in that time has been really, really surprising. Yeah. So. And did you plant seed, or did you sow seed, or uh, tube stock, or? I sowed seed of the wallaby grass. Yeah. Um, and that germinated absolutely beautifully, and I got pretty good coverage in the first year. Um, and everything else, pretty much everything else, I put in from from tubes. Yeah, yeah, mm. and- yeah. I, I have that same stiper in an area I'm regenerating yep. in, in a bush area, and I actually noticed yesterday down there um, just how fantastic it looks because the flower heads are about a meter high, mm. maybe even a little bit taller. Um, so I know you say the foliage isn't all that ornamental. Well, I think it it is. I mm. mean, it's it's a nice, just green. You know, it's maybe it's six hundred high. Green, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it and it sits so proud of a lot of the other things. Mm. Um, and the morning light through the if people yeah. know Miscanthus, yeah. yeah, it's very and similar. the lovely morning light you get through the um, the fairly new flowers of Miscanthus. This this is very very similar to mm. that. It it just glistens and it mm. slowly it just gently waves in the breeze or lately actually gets flattened by the wind <laughs> um, or a tree falling on it. Um, but um, but they are fantastic. Mm. Um, our dog has got about another uh, four weeks of being able to run around in the bush, no, and then that's it. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> because yep. the the stiper and the bidgie widgie, yep. which is flowering at the moment. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's just a killer for dogs. Well, particularly you know um, dogs that need to be shorn. Mm. You know those sorts of dogs. Mm. Um, but no, I, I think stiper is actually a really good garden plant. Yeah, I agree. Not not well used. You know, you don't see it around a lot, but. Mm. It's it's like a, in some ways like a very small miscanthus. Mm. Um, 
Dantho- oh, whatever you called that new you know, Danthodia, <laughs> um, that, that, that is one that self-sows a lot. Yes, absolutely. So you have to be a little bit careful where you put that if mm. in a garden situation because it does blow, yep. and, and it, but it's magnificent, mm. but it, it does come up you know, all over the place, mm. uh, but very easy to pull out yep. because it's very shallow-rooted, mm. so um, you know, they're very easy to pull out. But it is, it is one of those grasses that has to be en masse, mm. whereas a stiper you could plant you know, five of them and get a pretty good effect yeah. around, you know, in amongst lower lower plants so it sits proud. I've always thought you know, there's been that huge surge in interest in, um, you know, prairie and meadow gardening styles and design in the last probably 10 or 20 years. Mm. Um, and it's really taken off and it is absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Um, and and everyone's doing it with exotic species. But I look at that and I think, you know, there's, there's, there's an aesthetic in our own vegetation that is just crying to be let out, really. Mm. Yeah. And it is one of those things of how to use them. How do you do it? You don't mm. just, you know, unlike, you know, getting calamagrostis or something like that um, or, or prairie switchgrass or something where you plant you plant one as a, as, a, as a contrast to something that you've already planted and you've mm. got an effect. Well, you can't do that with the natives. You need, you need multiples of them. You need quite a few of them to get those effects. But you can mm. achieve vaguely the same effects as mm. those things, I reckon. That's so, right. Um, yeah. It's one thing that I'm constantly <coughs> experimenting with and I, I really like it. Mm. So that height, of that's what, probably 75 centimetres? It's probably all up a metre. About a metre. These, these get to yeah. a metre. I, I wouldn't have cut it right at ground level. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. They're, yeah. they're quite tall. Mm. Um, I've got mine in amongst um, kangaroo grass, semitor, mm-hmm. and they sit well proud yeah. of it. But I've planted about 30 of these, I suppose, I've, and about, I've got about 300 number, semitor yeah. in this area. So at some point, it's just mm. going to have that fantastic bronzy look. Yeah. Um, and the and, stiper and recruited really well, off. too, from, from the tubes that I planted. Yeah. yeah. Really, yeah. really well. Do they have well. that same quite large sort of basal tuft like the... It's like n- the thermiters and stuff. No, no, it's a bit more. It's a bit more wispy than the thermiters yeah, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. Mm. I think there is there is an aesthetic that it has a little bit of an edge over thermiter with um, mm. in that regard. Um, yeah, but you know, not often planted. Not not, not many gardeners have, have heard of no. it. No, well, it does stick in your still socks. Know how to use it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. But it's, it is, these, and they really hurt. These beautiful awns <laughs> on the seed, which which are which are the things that catch the light. But when the seed ripens um, and before it drops, those awns um, get a corkscrew quality to them, and they're called hygroscopic awns. It's a bit of a mouthful for this time in the morning. But um, when the seed dries off and it falls, you can pick it up and put it in your hand, and you can wet it with your saliva. And when the awn becomes uh, exposed to moisture, it flattens out, and then as it dries out again, it'll it'll Twists. skip in your hand, and it'll jump around. And really? it's yeah. an evolutionary thing. It's to, to disturb the soil surface after the seed falls to help with with recruitment and germination. As oh. kids, we used um, to hold it between thumb and forefinger and, and suck on it for a bit, and then yeah. it would twist. Yes, like magic grass. It's great. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. So you know, there's oh, something there for everyone go. there. Yeah. Oh, party tricks. <laughs> Oh, we should go to uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Thanks for hanging on. Oh, that's okay. Good morning. Hi. Um, I planted um, as a staff of an Indigenous garden at my school, and I was wondering if there's any um, tips people could give. I've planted it so that it gets uh, easterly and northerly, but not westerly sun, because it's just so intense you know, with the cement paths and so on nearby, and uh, a parent is going to water during the summer. Mm. Uh, Um, My only advice would be be careful where you plant plants that are going to become very dense shrubs. 
Because um, so you, in some ways you nearly need to decide, especially if it's a fairly small space, what the look is that you, you're trying to achieve. Because um, if you want something that's fairly low and lots of grasses and, and maybe herbs coming up through, then if you plant, say, um, I don't know, a pomodirus or something like that close by, um, it, it'll shade it out mm. and it'll change it very quickly. So that would be my only advice. Be really careful where you plant. You know, be very, you know, you might sort of tend to put those sorts of things on the southern side of the planting, Mm -hmm. not on the northern side, because otherwise you'll shade out those other things very, very quickly. Right. Well, next year, foods, year 12 foods, will have um, survival gardens and a suggested indigenous plant, so that's why I've done it. Mm. So what have you planted? Um, I've planted warrigal greens. I've planted um, um, the smaller lily pilly, you know, because of the um, growing out of plants, um, and the Tasmanian pepper, mm. and um, oh no, not the citriodora, the anisarum right. um, species of. You know, tasty leaf and mm-hmm. we've got warrigal greens, chocolate lily, ruby salt bush. Um, only about seventy three dollars worth of plants. So um, you can do a lot with that, though, in tubes, can't you? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and mm. I'm I'm propagating warrigal greens myself to make that the sort of cover. And you know, carpobrotus and mm. another one of the pig faces as well. Mm. And we put those close to the path, you know, close to the cement so that they'll get the warmth from that. Mm. And um, anyhow, we'll proceed with more things as we go. But the whole idea was really um, for students to actually see the plants. Um, I don't, as there will probably be about 20 in the class, uh, I don't think we're going to be able to give massive food, but we may be able to give Warrigal Greens, you mm. know, and just to blanch it for two and two minutes, which is what has to happen to it, so the oxalates are gone. Mm. Oh, I don't know if you've heard this, Jill, but the carpobrotus, those succulent <laughs> stems can apparently be used in stir-fries. I've never done it myself, and I, I do want to be brave enough, but they <laughs> always seem a bit gooey when you, <laughs> when you break them. Yeah, yeah. Mucilaginous. Yes. Well, I suppose they'd be, be a bit like having the... Um, oh, God, I'm losing my mind, I think. <laughs> I think um, there's... a um, a weed, you know, the red weed with the portulacra. Mm-hmm. You can use the leaves of that, so it'd be fairly yeah. similar. I think you I could that. cut them up to nice. smaller pieces. The carpobrotus are smaller because yeah. they're quite large. Mm. Anyway, can I just also say that the Herb Society on Thursday, the November the, November 3rd, which is next Thursday, is having Chris Williams come to speak after 7.30. We'll have a short talk, and he's going to talk about unusual root uh, vegetables and unusual root herbs that can be grown in Melbourne and we'll be bringing plants to show people and uh, that should be a fascinating time and that's at Burnley uh, room 10 in the main cream brick building and you enter through the steel ramp door and this parking in 500 um, Yarra Boulevard, um, and then some parking for people who find it difficult to get around. There's a little bit of parking on, on the campus. Sounds and, good. And uh, we have supper afterwards, and the Herd Society now has a coloured magazine, 
and I can give my mobile phone if people want it, but it's also on the Herb Society website, which is herbsocietyvic.org.au. Very good. And um, we're happy to have members, and we've got members now um, quite a broad range of ages. So we're looking forward to new people. Well, it's, it's always good to be imparting information to the um, younger generation, isn't it? It is indeed. It's just sharing it and keeping um, it all alive. We had the AGM recently, and the Robin is now the president, and she's just finished her horticultural course at Burnley, you know, University of Melbourne, Burnley. So, um, you know, she's really into the plants aspect of, of her. So yep. that'll be lovely. That thank sounds you good. For, You've always got a lot going on there, Jill. There is, yes. Thank you. Good on you. Good on you, okay, Jill. Okay, bye for now. Bye. Carpabrotus is such a versatile plant um, in planting. Uh, we've just recently, I did a domestic garden for the first time in a while recently, or a residential garden, mm-hmm. and uh, it has um, roof planters um, for... Um, just to give a little bit of green life up upstairs. And uh, we've used brachychite and rupestris mm. in some of them oh, and nice. carpobrotus because the carpobrotus will hang. Yes. And it can hang a long way. It can hang like three metres. Yep. It weighs a tonne, so you need good structure. <laughs> <laughs> but it hangs beautifully. And because of its weight, it doesn't really get blown around that much. Uh, as I never well. thought of that, actually. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Mm. Uh, because it is a pretty, it is a difficult plant to use in most small gardens yeah, it because it's huge. It spreads very quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it just takes over things. And it's easy to cut back and so on. But mm. it always looks the best if it's in a bed, say, just with trees and just carpobrotus. Yeah. Because it does carpet the ground as the. <laughs> name suggests <laughs> yeah. um, and that does look fantastic but mm. for roof gardens or for pots you know it is a really good potted plant if mm-hmm. particularly if you don't like the pot because mm-hmm. it'll cover it up yeah quite quickly is it fussy about potting mix did you use a native mix specifically or not um well we yeah we had a mix made right um by because it's on the roof you wanted to yeah. get some weight out of it yeah, yeah that's right and also you need it to have some longevity so you don't want um too much uh, organic matter in it mm. Um, so that it keeps its volume over time mm-hmm. as well, and it has to be really well drained. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's all succulents, and that's why the brachychite and rupestris will do quite well mm. as well. Um, but yeah, um, carpobrotus is a very versatile plant, and um, I do think it looks nearly looks the best hanging out of things mm-hmm. rather than on the flat. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's a, it's a good way of, <clears throat> of using it, I reckon. Yeah, mm. hanging baskets. Mm. <laughs> all right, let's go to Wendy in Vermont South. Good morning, Wendy. Oh, good morning. Um, my poor flowering cherry uh, didn't flower this year, and uh, it does look like it's dying. Um, it's no, there's no leaf growth on it either. I went to two independent nurseries. One of them said to give it a nine litres of plant starter. Is that like a, a hormone liquid thing? So I've done that. Um, but I'm just, I just don't want to lose it. This tree would be maybe at least nine years old and possibly as old as 18. And uh, another nursery said to also give it a big, big lot of sea salt and to prune it back. 
Mm. Um, if you guys have any advice, I'd be very grateful. Seems very, very strange to be not in leaf now. Mm. Um, yeah. My cherries and have flowered and are in leaf, fully in leaf. Yeah. I know, I see them all um, around my neighbourhood and I'm thinking, there is, by the way, there is, and clearly this is related to it, the, the bottom of the trunk, and it's been a bit like this before other years, has like a oh, an elongated, I'm just going out to look at it now, an elongated uh, section of... I don't know what you'd call it, where the silver trunk is just not there. It looks like someone's peeled it off. Like it's mm, Sounds like it's been ring-bucked, maybe. Yeah, or sunburnt really badly in its younger uh, years. It's on the opposite side to where the sun gets it. Right. Like where the sun faces it, it's silver. And on the other side, to it's... it's mm. oh, I don't understand. I, and then I read online this morning that some flowering cherries, or maybe it's cherries... Is there a difference? They don't live much longer than no. maybe 20, 25 years. No, they live a long time. I, I think, um, look, I was at a garden a couple of weeks ago where they had a line of my favourite plant, Potosporum, um, a hedge, yeah. um, and uh, one of them just dropped dead. Um, now, it had been there probably 10 years, yeah. and one had dropped dead. I wandered over to it and grabbed it and wiggled it, and it was just loose in the ground. Mm. And that's pretty common with Ptosporums. And uh, it may be that your plant, when it was planted, was particularly pot-bound, and it's grown really, really well up until a point. And then it's it's gotten to a stage where it's essentially choking itself. Oh, dear. So um, this so ring it, marking it, is not perhaps a, a disease or something I can pour on it to save it. Like, it's still alive. When I cut back bits of branches, if all of them have got, nearly all of them have got, uh, some green in them still, but I'm talking only just some green in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some on some of the outer twigs, it's like wrinkly, like, yeah, just a, yeah, little, that's a, died. Bit, a bit peeling and wrinkly. Just a few of them on the very outer edges. Uh, I'd say that probably started dying last year. Oh, dear. By the sound the of that. Poor thing. Oh, I shouldn't feel bad. I looked at, uh, in today's newspaper, there's a, an article, I don't know which newspaper, The Age, it's online. Uh, Sydney University's lost a massive 88-year-old jacaranda tree. It's just mm. just died. And I'm thinking, well, what I've got here is really nothing in comparison. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it does happen, well, but look, it opens opportunities. Yes, you get to plant something else. That's exactly that's right. So, you know, it's not all bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys, thanks very much. Oh, very yeah. disappointing. Yeah, thank you anyway. Okay, thank you. Cheers, Wendy. Bye-bye. That, that, that's gardening, though. <laughs> you know, things do, you know, don't always work. Things do drop dead. Um, it's an ongoing renovation, mm. which is what I think is the fabulous thing about gardening. So it's the, not the, static. My favourite definition, gardening's all about <laughs> sex and death. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like Moving right along. <laughs> no, no, let's do that for a while. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's sad when it's your favourite plant or one of your favourite plants, yeah, isn't absolutely. it? And, and out of the blue, like, I mean, I've, yep. I have got two, well, had two, um, native limes in pots outside my glass house, a metre apart, one died. Yep. It just died. Yep. Mm. It just went, nah, you know what, I'm done. Mm. Yeah. It just, <laughs> I really don't like my neighbour. Yeah. And <laughs> why? Like, it's exactly the same conditions, exactly the same potting mix, same amount of water, mm. um, no bugs that I could see of. James, you thought it might have been the um, a deformed graft or failing mm. graft, but it mm. wasn't. I yeah. checked that out. So yeah, okay. Who knows? Mm. Who mm. knows? Bizarre. Yeah, part of the mystery. Yeah, part of the mystery, but yeah, that, that is that is a shame. And, and some plants, some plants just are winners wherever you put them. Yeah, 
but there are a lot of plants that that aren't you know is that they'll be great some in some places and not so great in other places but trees are a really interesting one because it does happen a lot this you know i'm assuming it's a root bound mm. but that you do see it a lot and they'll they'll grow fabulously and it's probably around the 10 year mark that it seems that things then start falling over mm. yeah, and i think also if you're putting off. in a mature tree um there's less chance to see what's going on in the middle of the root so if yep. at some point it had been root bound in a pot and then it's been potted up put on those new feeder roots you pull it out of the pot and you think oh the you roots look great yes. but actually in the middle it's quite root bound and mm. it's just putting out these sort of emergency feeder roots and then yep. yeah as you say evan a couple of years later the plants mm. yeah just can't yep. can't support itself on small roots that's that- one of those things it's very easy to check the progress of like with the potosporum how you just went up and wiggled them. That's that's a really good way to tell if a tree has has sunk its roots into the ground mm. successfully, mm. Um, even after several years. If you mm. go up and wiggle it, mm. if if it's only the trunk that flexes and the ground doesn't move, then you're right. Your mm. tree has settled in. It's happy where it is. It's probably going to thrive and be there for a really long time. Mm. But if it's been in for four or five years and you go and wiggle it and there's movement in the ground, that's when you should start to worry because yes. it means that those roots haven't worked their way out into the surrounding soil. Mm. That's right. Um, and you, mm. you might even think about taking it out and replacing it despite the fact that it might to appear to be you know doing well or yeah. if it's a deciduous tree going around in the winter with an axe <laughs> okay um, this, this comes to the death part of the oh, conversation Evan, this is your solution to everything <laughs> blokes like axes and chainsaws you gotta get you remember that so no it's so that you uh, and you, you you're facing the trunk mm. and you cut down so you're effectively uh, dividing the root ball so you're not cutting them off uh, parallel to the trunk. Yeah, you're you're yeah, cutting yeah. them off perpendicular yeah. to the trunk. So you can sort of whack through it maybe in four places mm. and in the winter. And you obviously might do a little bit of pruning on top. But if you do suspect that, that is a way of maybe trying, if you're desperate to keep a plant, yeah. mm. of, of um, reinvigorating the root system and maybe opening it up. It's kind of like taking to it when they're much younger in the pots before you pot them out. Sometimes, you know, they're roots are quite matted and you might take to it with a Stanley knife. So it's yeah. kind of like doing that, but Same thing. when it's in the ground on a bigger scale. Yeah, mm. that's right. I don't think you can, especially with deciduous trees, if you're planting them in the winter, you can be really ruthless with yeah. the root ball mm. before and you plant you it. You should don't, really as well. And you should, yeah. yeah. And quite often, um, and look, it comes down to the quality. So the more you pay, generally the better quality tree because you'll find that nurseries will, uh, the better quality nurseries will will start from the small plant and they'll regularly pot up, pot up, pot up, pot up till you get to whatever the size is that you're buying it at. And that's less likely to have an issue in the roots than um, if you, maybe in some of the, the cheaper nurseries, they might just whack them straight into a 40 litre or something like that and, yeah. and sort of hope it's okay. Because um, I, I have had that problem where, um, we planted angophoras actually at a school. This is a long time ago, and they lasted about five years, and they all started dropping over. Mm. And uh, we, uh, I actually took one back to the nursery where it was bought from. We washed it out, and you know you could still see the tube shape. Oh, wow. So this was a plant planted in a fifty-liter container, <laughs> but you could still see the tube shape yeah, right. right in the middle. It had mm. been left too long in the tube, hadn't been teased out properly, and uh, and and they just started falling over and dying. Mm. Um, one of the things with deciduous trees and also eucalypts, um, you'll oft, if you're planting them in larger pots, it's actually a good idea to take the bottom inch off with a sharp spade. Mm. So lay the, take it out of the pot, lay it over, take the bottom inch off 
because quite often there can be a mat of roots there. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you have to be a little bit careful because you can put them into shock. And, and I've done that before, but generally they're okay. Um, you just got to then keep the water up to them or so, maybe do a little bit of pruning on top. And don't be afraid to do that. Just because you've bought a plant that's two and a half metres tall doesn't mean it can't be two metres tall when you plant it. Yeah. You know, It yeah. doesn't hurt to cut it back a little bit. You'll get all that back and more yeah. very, very quickly. Although I have heard that there's a new sort of train of thought that it's better not to prune when you're um, transplanting. Uh, well, because there's certain hormones, aren't there, that stimulate root growth, and they they come from the tips. So I think that's yeah. the argument. Yeah, um, probably horses for courses. Probably depends mm. on the plant. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I think if you, um, I think conifers maybe that might be fairly relevant with. Um, but I think most deciduous plants, I don't think it's a, it's an issue. Yeah. You're sort of tip pruning them back. You'll find most uh, good tree growing nurseries will every year when they pot them up, they will trim the trees. Now, that's mm. also for neatness in the rows, mm. but it's also to keep a nice, compact and well-branched tree um, and to and to knock back a little bit of that foliage. So when, when it comes spring, they put on a lot of growth. Mm. Um, but that bottom half inch or so in a large pot, it can be really pronounced. You can have a, a real carpet yep. at the bottom yep. there, especially with things like Chinese elms. Um, we've, I've pulled out multiple ones of those where they've just had a half-inch mat of, of roots yeah. and you're just far better off to knock it off. I guess they've just been sitting on the ground too long. They've put out those roots to try or, and get into the ground. Oh, being in the pot too long. Being in the pot, yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. And yeah, then, yeah, sitting yeah, out those that's roots. right, yeah. yeah. Mm. So some of the more aerated pots are perhaps a little bit better, you know, the <laughs> rocket pot type things that, are, that have a lot of holes in them so they're air pruned as mm. they go around. Sometimes they're a little bit better, but it really does depend on the nursery. And uh, don't be afraid to knock a pot out, knock a plant out of a pot before you before buy you it. Buy yeah, it. I agree because yes. you're not just buying the top; you're mm. buying the bottom as well. And yep. the bottom is uh, better for longevity than than potentially what the top is. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, a lot to be said for looking at roots of plants before you buy them. That's mm. for sure. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. My name's Ab Bishop, and with me in the studio are Evan Gorky and James Beatty. If you you've got a gardening question or just something you want to boast about really um, which I'm about to do actually <laughs> feeling self-conscious yeah, um, give us a call on 94190155 yes yeah, so now the, I brought in two plants today and the sole purpose is to boast about them um, the first one is a little plant that I bought from um, Stephen and Craig at one of the plant fairs and it's uh, Rhodohypoxus bowerii. And um, the reason why I am so excited about it is that it is actually not only living, but is looking <laughs> astonishing. And I've had it for over a year now. So, wow. I mean, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I absolutely adore it. I adored it when I saw it. It's um, this little tufted uh, bulb that's grown to about maybe 10, 12 centimetres high with... Um, Fairly strappy but small uh, green stripy leaves with lots of hairs all over them. And then these delightful little star white and, and purple flowers. With They've got six petals and the three middle petals close up um, to protect the plant from weather extremes. Mm. But then if an insect lands on the plant and it 
wants to be pollinated, it opens them up again. So, oh, wow. How yeah. long does that take when they open and close? Oh, I haven't watched James, but right. I will take it home and wait for an insect to Beer in the sun. Yes. Watch Spend the some quality yes. time in front of your plant. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But what I love about it is, well, A, that I've kept it alive. Um, and um, it's, one, it's a South African plant, and um, I hail from South Africa originally, So, and I'm starting to get a bit of a collection, and it's... Um, an absolute coincidence, I have to say. I picked this because I, I always love these little sort of daisy-like flowers and nothing like daisies, but they're little and white and sweet. And mm. um, it, it needs, it comes from the alpine areas in South Africa and it needs a really well-draining soil. And you're supposed to completely ignore it in its dormant period. It dies right back into the ground. And this is where I usually make my mistake because, you know, as horticulturalists, we like to care for things and I care for it and I care for it and I care for it. And I'm like, oh, you're getting a bit yellow. I'll give you some more water. Oh, you're getting more yellow. I'll give you a bit more water. And then, of course, it dies. Um, but this one, I resisted the temptation and over winter when it died out, I put it where I could see it but yep. um, refused to touch it, made uh -huh. sure it didn't get any water. And lo and forbid, it came back and is, um, yeah, popped back up into this incredible mass planting. So I've got a bit of a thing for South African bulbs. I'm going to have to do, add that one to the list, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's it quite beautiful. So is it summer deciduous? Um, yes, it'll, it'll die back down kind of, um, it sort of went down mid-summer. Um, and then disappeared and yeah I, I didn't have a heart attack because I had read up about it and <laughs> knew that it wasn't me uh, however I have been just watering it with a watering can now and I read up recently that it doesn't like to have its foliage wet but so I can say I don't think it minds having its foliage wet <laughs> so yeah so that's so Stephen if you're listening Stephen and Craig um, you can know that your um, rhodohypoxis barrier oh does anyone know its common name no. It's really cute. Is it's, it is it like the boat propeller flower? Because that's what <laughs> well, the petals are. Like, like, no, it's rosy posy. Rosy posy. So um, if that's anyone, adorable. Yeah, wants well, a lovely little um, potted plant. It's it's a rosy posy plant. So yeah, so there we go. So that's my one boast. But I guess we should go oh, to our well, next. Well done, caller. you. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to go to Linda in King Lake. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Um, I, I wonder if you could sort of advise me. I know to start with that I shouldn't do this, but perhaps you can help me. I have a rhododendron nuttalie, which I've had for probably about 20 years. The first probably 13, it was in a big pot. Then we had the fires up here and I was able to save it. It was far enough away from everything. It survived quite well. Uh, there were two of them. One of them has since died. Um, so when my property was re-established, I put this one in the ground and it's growing. Um, it's still, given its age, it's not very big. It's probably uh, about five and a half feet tall mm. and it flowers every year. Um, anyway, the long and the short of it is I have to move and I really don't want to leave it. Now, I know that um, if you have plenty of time you can you can shift them successfully but mm. i don't have plenty of time and it's the wrong time of the year could you what do you reckon my chances are of getting it out as a general rule another big pot as a general rule, uh, transplanting things in spring is really tricky mm. yes. uh, just because of the the new root growth that you'll break yes. off and usually you know summer you can transplant much more readily. So I suppose first thing would be to leave it as late as you can. 
um, mm. coming into summer. Yeah. Um, but it, it, did you say it's five feet tall? Well, it's, yes, a five plus. Yeah. Yes, so it's quite a big plant. Yes. Um, you're going they don't to need... have a really sort of. They don't have a taproot in the way that, say, an oak tree does, do they? They they're more fibrous. Well, is it? Yeah, tap roots are kind of a, not really. They don't really exist anyway. It's more oh, right, a juvenile, a, a juvenile thing. Unless you're a carrot, yeah. <laughs> a carrot tree. Um, but um, oh, look, if you're desperate to transplant it, I'd just give it a go. But I, I think you're going to need at least a hundred litre pot. Oh yes, yes. Um, and, and maybe even bigger. Uh, yep. Are you moving a long way or? Well, I'm move, actually moving to a different, a different sort of climate over oh. around Broadford, sort of. Uh, oh. But I was planning on sort of being down near a creek, so it should be a bit more shady uh, than broad generally. Mm. Um, but, mm. yes, it's sort of pretty special, and uh, as you probably know, if you're into rhododendrons, they're not readily available, and uh, I lost so much in the fires, and mm. this, one's, this one's doing all right. And, uh, Gee, it's a tricky one, you know. I mean, how sad would you be, though, if you transplanted it and it died, you know? Are you, would it yeah. be better to leave it there and, and let sad. the next people it enjoy it? People that buy the property don't like plants much. <laughs> well, you know, you can also talk to the people that buy the property and say, well, look, if you are going to take this plant out, if it's in the way please let me know, and you might then be able to dig it up in the winter. Well, that's, that's a nice solution, yeah. Mm. yeah. Because people will generally, you know, be amenable to that sort of thing. Yes. Um, yes. Because you'll have much more of a chance then. And that way, too, you could probably cut it back in this yep. summer. Yes. Just reduce it a little bit. Up and if, if you really wanted to get keen, you could dig <coughs> a trench halfway around the plant. Um, and uh, yeah, you could do it now, uh, or maybe in another month. Yeah. Um, and backfill it with something like sand. Yes. Uh, make sure it's not salty. Oh yes, yeah. No, I have uh, I have river sand. So. Yeah. Okay. So backfill it with that, and and that that'll just give you an area where the the roots will sort of um, proliferate again, just just right there. And then when oh, you yes, come to yes. transplant it, so if you if you're doing something over a long period of time, you can do that twice. So you do it on one side, and then you do it on the other side, and ah, then right. and then you can move it. That's good. Um, and uh, that that'll probably increase your chances of then being able to move it later. And when I when I do move it, um, assuming I I go ahead with this life and death thing. Um, well, what would you suggest I do once it's in the pot? Well, you need a very large pot, as yes. big as you can transport. Yeah. Um, and it might even be a 200-litre pot, really. Yep. Um, and maybe you get a pot and have somebody build uh, some wheels for the base of it, big wheels, yes. so you can move yep. it around. Um, and I'd just look after it in a pot. I'd just leave it in a pot. Rhododendrons do okay in pots. Oh, they do, yes. Mm. I know from previous experience, mm. until the fires, that is, mm. um, that, yes, I had some, well, that were even older, mm. big, big-leaved ones, and um, they're just sort of like hen's teeth to come by these days. Mm. Yes, they're really out of fashion, aren't they? Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and um, what do you think, plant starter or...? Uh, once it's in the pot? Yep. 
Oh yeah, you would do all of that. Yep. And and, and then just sea salt and no feed till the next spring. Um. Yes, that's Assuming right. Yeah, yeah. Like, you just want to get it settled in and get some root growth is what yeah. the aim is. Okay. Mm. And the, would that apply to? I, ha, I have a um, um, a rhododendron, uh, a camellia chinzi. Yep. Um, and um, it's stuck in amongst uh, a whole lot of stuff. I, I just had to sort of take things out of pots and put them into the ground uh, in the most suitable place, and it looks like I've stuck that in amongst stuff, um, and it's inappropriate and I thought I might uh, a positioning and I thought I might try and dig that out too with the same apply or, yep. or camellias trans- they've flowered now so would yep. it be okay to or they go into their growing phase now don't they? Well I do remember someone telling me one time that camellias uh, the best time to transplant them is when they're in flower Okay. Um, now that's probably just before they start pushing out a lot of root growth, I suspect, and and a lot mm. of new growth. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so you could probably do that right now. Um, well, well, that's but, probably that's slightly late. To, yeah. Yeah. Maybe again, you're better off waiting till summer or or then well, next winter if you can. It's much smaller than the um, rhododendron, so. Yeah, they transplant really well, camellias. Do they? Yep. I've never tried it before, mm. so. You know, I've put them into the ground out of pots and they've grown. But, mm. um, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for your help. No worries. And, uh, I'll take all that on board and, and try it. Good luck. Good luck with it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Yeah, tricky that, isn't it? Chance, that is tricky. Planting. Yeah. yeah, especially yep. something quite mature and... Yep. When you love it, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, you always try propagating it as well. If you're worried yeah, that you might absolutely. not pull it off, mm. try yeah, and strike true. a few more cuttings. And, yeah, you know. what would that be? That'd be a, a summer cutting. Yeah, it would cutting be for roadies, I reckon. Mm. Yeah, yep. Can't say I've ever tried. <laughs> probably never will. <laughs> <laughs> so James, let's get back to your birch because you brought in. Oh, I've, I've got a few. I've got a few other things um, that I've planted. Uh, uh, in the nature strip just to add a bit of colour to the situation um, and a lot of it is really popping at the moment and this is this is probably one of my favourite things out there at the moment um, but it's a it's a species of uh, native native flax as in you know the seed that you would use in cooking linum mm-hmm. is the is the uh, genus this is linum marginale um, and it's quite a spindly little number with tiny little leaflets that, that uh, you know, come out from the stem and I, I put in I put in around I reckon probably 20 tubes um, in the nature strip in the first year and it recruited in its absolute thousands wow. thousands and thousands of them came yep. up this year which is all well and good because there is this beautiful blue, um, flower that it produces that's about oh, probably one and a half to two centimetres across and it is it is proper blue like electric blue and especially in the morning mm. in the morning sunlight it's just a gorgeous effect when they're when they're all in flower so it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sea of blue at the moment and I was a bit worried that there might not be any um, that were actually out before I came in this morning because they generally will only open in the full sun, but there were a couple that had started opening this morning, so I've brought them in today. Mm. Um, the Aboriginal people used to use it for um, cordage and net making mm-hmm. and making baskets and things. The stems on it are incredibly tough. Yep. Um, and there's, I've, I've read a few things to suggest that they would have eaten the seed as well, and given the amount of seed it produces, it is prolific. Um, it could could well be the case as well, yep. I think. Mm-hmm. Um and another one, 
This is definitely a rival for my favourite plant, and it looks a bit lacklustre now because it tends to it tends to go south pretty quickly once you once you cut a bit off it. But it's a it's a local species of tobacco. I've I've spoken about it before, I'm sure. Um, Nicotiana suaviolens, but it produces this rosette of really really nice ornamental foliage. Um, it's kind of middle green. Um, it's quite a big rosette as well. It'll probably get to about forty centimeters across. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout spring and summer and into autumn, so literally three quarters of the year, it flowers and flowers and flowers and flowers and flowers and flowers and flowers, and flowers um, like a lot of the Nicotianas do. Yep. Um, but it's really, really attractive. It's got a slight scent about it at night time as well. It tends to only come out at night. Its pollinator is a, is a moth. Um, but it's one of my... I think it's one of the most underrated plants in Melbourne, and it does look a bit underwhelming with the bit I've brought in, I must admit. Um, but, but I thought it was milk thistle. Yeah, it's I know. But it's brought very, in amongst it, the others. It would be very easy to pull out as a weed. Yes, it, it would, absolutely. Very, very easy But to look, pull it's, out. It's, it's one of those things that, that during the day when it's really, really hot, the flowers look as they do now, and they look like they've collapsed a little bit. But then as soon as the sun starts to set and it begins to cool down slightly, mm. um, you know, it being it being a plant that's pollinated by, by nocturnal insects... Um, the flowers perk right up and and they they almost seem to grow before your very eyes. And the way the white in the flowers catches the moonlight at night time mm. is just has to be seen to be believed. It's like that special substance that they talk about in Lord of the Rings that, you know, can only it's written in I can't remember the name of it, but you can only see it because it only reflects starlight and moonlight. It's kind <laughs> of like that. It's got this kind of magical quality about it. Um but yeah, look, that's that's another one of my one of my favorite things. And lastly, I'll shut up about my my nature strip after this. <laughs> but um I planted a whole lot of uh the billy buttons, Pycnosaurus globosus, um in the first year just thinking, "Oh, I'll whack them in and see how they go." And, you know, so I, I put in half a dozen of them. And um they did really well. One down one end of the uh nature strip is quite a bit wetter than the other than the other end. Um so I whacked them down there knowing that they they like it quite boggy. Mm-hmm. And they they grew really strongly and flowered a little bit last year, but then over over uh, autumn and winter um, of this year, they they their vegetative growth went absolutely crazy, and I thought, wow, they're going to do really really well this year. Um, and they have, and they're starting to flower now, and they look really good. I would I would have had probably ten times as many flowers um, as I do were it not for the fact that about. A month ago, I came out one morning and was drinking my morning cup of coffee and looking at them, and something had come along in the night and nipped the developing flower buds ah. just <laughs> below where they were forming. And I was and I and I was I was outraged. I, I went and woke up my partner Welcome and was like, "You'll never believe what happened last night." <laughs> I'm glad you woke it. me up for that. <laughs> Those uh, Billy Buttons, there's there's some that grows native around our place, around yeah. Upper Beaconsfield, Guys Hill, and there's a paddock, um, a south facing paddock on the other side of the road from us, mm-hmm. um, which gets mown regularly, like slashed yep. every maybe once a year or so, and at the moment it is covered. Yeah, great. there's you know so there's probably a hectare of them, mm. 
and it just looks fantastic because you look up the hill to them, and it just looks amazing. South facing, they, the they best year. do like it a bit more sheltered and a little, you know, a little bit more moisture. Well, know, maybe but... in the, the moisture is the thing. I think mm. you know on that sort of slope because I've tried to grow them and not had great success. You've just got to have it just right. Yeah, that's it, um, yeah. or a paddock where they already are. Mm. <laughs> but after them doing uh, so well in their first year, I, I went to the indigenousery that I go to all the time and bought another twenty of them, <laughs> whacked them in, just greedy. Yeah, yeah they are fantastic <laughs> and they're great for you know sticking in the house. You know mm. as well. They they're last great ages. Floral arrangement plant. Yeah. You'll need just, your just neighbour's soon, won't you? I've already kind of started softening him up. <laughs> yeah, I know he's not a listener, so I you know, <laughs> yeah. can talk about these things quite openly. But um, well, then you can say, "Well, I told you." You know, we did discuss this. <laughs> Don't you remember? <laughs> As you've got your shovel in hand. <laughs> now, are all of these growing under trees. Um, there is a very large. Um, La Fosterman uh, brush box, mm-hmm. as its council have planted as a street tree at some point in the past, and yes, they're all growing under trees mm. and they're all doing swimmingly. Mm. Yeah, wonderful, yep. really, really well. So the native grasses under trees, and you know a lot of little native herbs and forbs and things. Yeah, generally will will go pretty well under yeah. under big established trees. So. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well done. Yes. Mm. Very good. And what about what's going on over there, Evan? You brought in a pile and just about poked me in the eye when you came in, in the door. <laughs> it's my spear. Uh, yes, I do have my um, Wackendorfia, which I, I find fantastic. I know there's some, you know, thought that maybe they're going to become a weed. They're not on any weed list, though, as far as I'm concerned, uh, aware. Um, but Wackendorfia, apart from a very cool name, um, is just a fantastic plant. Where, where they're good, they need a, they need a bit of moisture. Mm. So where they're good is, at, so for example, at the bottom of a retaining wall, you know, a, like a sleeper retaining wall, mm-hmm. a wall that that leaks through, that's not drained from behind, because mm-hmm. often they're very hard spots to grow in. Um, but Wackendorfia will thrive there, and uh, the flower is about um, what nearly two metres tall. Mm. Um, and it's Almost up to the doorway. Yeah, yeah. and it's yellow, uh, lots of small yellow um, yellow flowers up the stem. And the actual flower head is about 40 centimetres uh, high in itself. Uh, I have them in a mass. I've just been slowly dividing them over time. So they're in about um, 10 square metres. Yep. So at the moment, when you look out our front door, there's just this mass of heads, you know, sitting way up above everything else. Mm. It really is a fantastic look. Gorgeous. Um, Reminds me of the swamp so, orchids you get in Queensland. The, yep. Yeah, they look quite similar. Yeah, yeah. So, look, it's, it's a wonderful plant. Um, I first saw it at the zoo because um, it's an African plant. I think they had it in the African rainforest, maybe around the hippos or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, th- this is, yeah, I just think it's a stunning plant. The foliage is nothing to write home about. Mm. It's sort of... Uh, it's sort of a little bit crinkled. It's long and wide, a little bit like a flax, but stiff. Um, does tend to sort of get a bit horrible looking late in the season. So it's not the sort of thing you'd put right at the front of a bed. Yeah. Um, but for this time of year and for the next month, they're they're fantastic. And I can attest really, to really its good slight plant. weed potential. We were contracted to take, to take some of it out in um, some of the upper reaches of the Yarra when yep. I worked in the bushland stuff. There wasn't yep. there wasn't a hell of a lot of it, but mm. there was definitely some yeah. there. Yeah. And the only way we could get it, well, that's one of the things. It's kind of a desirable quality in a weed that it flowers well high above everything else because mm. it's very easy to find. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's just true. seek and destroy. Yes. Bang, yeah. How yes. long does it flower for? Oh, I suppose a month. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah, you can see it sort of flowers sequentially from the bottom to the top. Mm. So it's uh, it's still forming up at the top. 
um, but they already look great. They already looked yep. good maybe a week and a half ago, mm. so there'll be another month of them yep. probably, something like that. So, yeah, really, really good value. And and as I say, a really good plant for those really difficult spots mm. Mm. where it's a little bit wet and maybe a little bit clay and a little bit horrible, and they'll actually do quite well. Yeah. Um, and, look, I have had them self-sow, but they've never gone far. Mm. Mm. So they're always actually just – so the seed must be quite heavy mm-hmm. because it's always just sort of right right there. Um, and that's quite handy. <laughs> so yeah, then, you, then you can plant them around. But, yeah, I can see the weed potential in them as well for wetlands and that sort of thing. But Do like the bees Aaron, like it or birds, kind of honey-eating birds? Don't know. I don't no? um, spend as much time sitting out in the garden as you do <laughs> <laughs> with my cup of coffee. Maybe my garden's a little bit too big. <laughs> I don't just have the nature strip. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't know. Um, I haven't seen, you know, sort of honey eaters or anything hanging on it. Sure. Which is probably a good thing because they'd probably smash them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah. All right. Well, we should go to Elizabeth and Preston. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Um, look, I'm just wanting to make a comment about um, the labelling or the, the bottles that the glyphosate and weed and feed come in and hopefully some of the manufacturers or even uh, that, uh, that some of our friends um, listening will be aware of. Um, I made a big dreadful error. Um, I've used weed and feed for years and just one day I picked up a bottle of it at the um, shop at the, and went and put it on and at the, almost to the very end I discovered I'd been putting full-on glyphosate, not weed and feed, and just about wiped out my whole nature strip. Oh, wow. And when I looked at the the bottle, the bottles, uh, some of, have demarcated with a, a red bottle um, for full-on glyphosate, uh, but, and the others are, are, are yellow. But some of them have just, both bottles are yellow, and the labelling is very similar. <coughs> and, I mean, I just, it was just a, a momentarily lapsing watching what I was doing, but um, I, I was just thinking that the manufacturers, maybe they could think about what they're doing with their labelling and also if people just, you know, be a bit like me, be a bit distracted one day and, and um, make a mistake and mm. wipe out a lawn that's been there for 20-odd years. You know, if you if you make that mistake or you're using uh, glyphosate Roundup and you're wandering around and, oops, hit something I should have left, mm. either just snap off the bit that it's, uh, that it's hit or quickly go and grab a hose or a watering can and wash it down. Oh, it was a lawn. A yeah, no, lawn. a lawn. You could you could have just uh, got the hose out and just yep. soaked it. I did save some of it doing yep. that. Yeah, I, I, my the hose couldn't reach all of it, and there was a fair bit knocked off. So I've had to yep. reseed. But yep. I just think there is an issue with labelling. Um, mm. It should be clearer. And as I said, I went back and had a look, and some of them have got a red bottle now and as so you you do look twice but the the others are still with the yellow and also with the similar sort of label you know green and yellow on the on the label so i just i thought it might be um useful for other people to listen to and hopefully we can get some labeling changes mm. have you written to any of the companies elizabeth i'm going to but this, yeah. this is my first port of call this morning is to um uh you know let people know and um, hopefully, for this, if anyone's listening, that they'll take it back with them. Um, but yeah, so I will do that. It just all takes time. <laughs> yeah, That's absolutely. It. But yeah, so hopefully, there'll be a few people that can learn from your horrible mistake. And yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely write or you know email to a lot of the companies. They um, you'll 
invariably get at least a response from them and then you know who knows if they'll take that into account i think if enough people um mention it then they would consider it yeah yeah well i mean you know it's it's to their benefit you know it's put me off the stuff forever really and um pleased to hear it uh, yeah i didn't didn't use it a lot but this one time that i just just momentarily distracted and bingo Mm. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Good Thanks. on you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Yeah, bye bye. Yeah, that's not good, is it? That's unlucky. Yeah, mm. not good at all. Mm. All right, everyone. We've got time for a, right. a couple more of your plants. Okay. Well, one I've one got um, Cotinus here. Beautiful. Uh, velvet cloak, which is a smaller growing Cotinus, more a shrub than a or, or a very very small tree. Can be a little bit rangy, but not as rangy as say Grace, which is the larger growing one. But at this time of year, they're just forming up their flowers, um, so they're just it, it just covers the plant. The foliage is brand new, so it is that very very deep deep purple, um, and it looks fantastic. I've got a backdrop of Boston ivy to these, which mm. at the moment is incredibly mm. light green. Mm. So you can imagine the light green with this real burgundy, and then these flowers obviously end up sort of puffing up into that sort of smoky, yep. smoky look, which is why they have the the name smoke bush. But um, it's a really good plant to put around other light green plants, yep. um, and you can prune it really readily. Um, you can layer it really easily if you want new ones. That I've had one that layered on its own; it had a low branch and just. Uh, it rooted, not a, not a problem at all. So, uh, really, really good small small tree. So for smaller gardens, it's a great contrast. I've seen a row of them <clears throat> underplanted with um, a fine lamandra. Yeah, that'd be and awesome. It just worked a treat. Yes, yeah. with that really bright green. And, yes. Um, yeah, it was just covering up the trunks a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. No, really great plant. Cotinus velvet cloak is a good one. We do another one. Yeah. Let's... Uh, what else have we got here? I've got a, a viburnum which um, I planted years ago. Again, at the bottom of a retaining wall, just just because uh, you know it was a fairly wet spot, and uh, it's done really, really well. Viburnum uh, plicatum. Mm-hmm. Um, it has the wonderful. It, the, the branches are very horizontal. And it has the flowers that pop up off those horizontal branches. Mm. So as it gets older, and they're quite slow growing, but as they get older and older, they have this wonderful layered appearance with the white flowers coming up vertically off all those branches. Um, I guess you'd have to uh, be careful how you prune it. I I haven't pruned it at all, uh, apart from ripping off things. uh, I didn't actually use secateurs. Uh, (laughs) Ripped off a branch to bring in here today. Um, But... uh, I suppose you, the only thing you really do is lift them up. You know, you don't do a lot else to them. They they look after themselves. But it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful shaped bush. Yep. Um, not as gangly as the snow snowball viburnum, yeah, yeah, sure. and just a little bit more delicate, uh, I think, and and nicer out of leaf yep. as well than the snowball. Beautiful. Mm. Well, that's probably all we've got time for for now. So thank you to Chloe for womaning the phones. Thanks to James and Evan for sharing your knowledge. And thanks to you, the listener, for tuning into the show. We'll be here again at the same time next week. So until then, may all your rain fall outside the house. (laughs) 